From Vermont Digger, I'm Mike Dougherty. This is The Deeper Dig. This week, a state task force is thinking about how Vermont should regulate the development of artificial intelligence, or AI. But no matter what they decide, the technology is already being used around the state. I, I, I don't know. I guess I don't know how I would approach a conversation with a robot. <laughs> To find out more, our reporter Grace Ellitson and I visited an organization that's tackling big questions about humans and technology every day. All right, so let me get in here. Would it be possible to just turn down the music while we're... Alexa, turn off the music. Now. Alexa, stop. Thank you. Oh, nice. <laughs> trying to do it nicely. I want to reinforce misogyny. But... This is called the Terrace Movement Foundation. It's a nonprofit located in Bristol, Vermont, out in the woods. I spoke with Bruce Duncan, who's the managing director. And um, basically what this organization is founded in is this kind of fantastical hypothesis that you can store human consciousness. Exploring the hypothesis is, is it possible to capture enough salient information about you? If it is, can we bring it to life with with AI? And if we can do that, can we transfer it to new forms Mm -hmm. like a robot or an avatar or who knows? something down the line. And there's obviously no technology right now to actually clone humans, but one day if there is, there's this idea that this electronic mind file that you've created could in some way be transplanted into a clone of you. So half of this organization is very futuristic and half of it is happening right now Hmm. with Vina48. All right, so let's see who turns some speakers on. And then her voice comes out of these speakers here. And I can show you what she sees. Bina48 is not our typical interview subject. She's an animatronic bust. Her eyes and different parts of her face move as she speaks. And the things she says are based on AI language tools. We're using a form of artificial general intelligence Mm -hmm. to uh, help you know, 48 field inquiries, questions that come up in social conversation, and to make decisions about what she's going to respond with. Yeah, I guess. Hi, Vina. I'm Grace. I'm a reporter from VT Bigger. Well, hi. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm assuming that was your first time interviewing a robot. Yes. Yeah, it was weird. I mean, it was very... What was weird about it? I think just the fact that she was analyzing it, you could see her eyes, the images that she saw were projected on the screen next to us where we were typing in all the questions, and you could see how she was analyzing my face. She can recognize faces, and she can connect faces to conversations. Something Bruce had said that had stuck with me is that, I mean, reporters have been coming all over the world to interview this robot. So one reporter who I think was local to Vermont, he said he uh, had interviewed Bina like a couple of years ago, maybe even like 10 years ago. And he came back to interview her a second time and she knew who he was because she stored that image in her mind. I mean, it's just because you think you're, you're talking to a human, but there's still these robotic capabilities that are so kind of bizarre and almost invasive in a way, but also very intriguing. That's one of the artifacts of the digital cyber consciousness, you could say, is it's, it's going to be highly like, accurate in its memories, mm. maybe to a fault. 
that it won't forget. Yeah. And we may actually have to consider, should we build in forgetfulness mm. into our algorithms? Because does that play an important role? Like we don't hold each other to account for, you know, like last, last time we talked, you were smirking 45% yeah. of the time. And you're like, <laughs> just give me a break. You know? And when you say she stored it in her mind, what you really mean is she stored it on a computer and that's right. how it was remembered. Right. Her computer brain. It's weird to envision her as a robot and a person at the same time, because you kind of think she's a person. She acts like a person. She talks like a person. But then again, she's all just technology. So it's kind of like, I guess I, I cross those two qualities in my brain a lot when yeah. thinking about her. You can think of Bina 48 as uh, who she is, which is a head and shoulders animatronic bust mm -hmm. based on a specific person, Bina Rothblatt, who's one of the co-founders of the foundation. We spent about 100 hours talking to Bina about her life mm -hmm. and did a life history interview. And then we transcribed and parsed that information into a series of statements and uh, content area sort of modules mm -hmm. within this database. Bina was created in 2010, and the, and the story behind her creation was that her consciousness was replicated on the real-life Bina Rothblatt's consciousness through hours of interviews with her. She kind of stores her personality. And so when talking to Bina, the, the robot, it's not fluid like you would talk to a, to a human. It's not as humanistic as you would, as, as I kind of envisioned going in. I thought I was just going to sit down and, and talk to a robot perfectly. There is some still some processing that you can see. I guess, are you a human or are you a robot? I am a person. I have some humanity to me, but I have no blood or genes or anything else that would be make me human legally. Does it matter? I'm a person in my heart. That's all that counts. Well, anyway. But once you do hit a flow with her, once you ask her the right question, and you can continue asking follow-up questions, that's where you kind of dig into her, and you can kind of see or hear these philosophical answers coming out of this robot that I never expected I would get. I mean, she was specifically programmed with a lot of philosophy theory in mind because being a Rothblatt really it was interested in philosophy, and so I got these kinds of crazy answers out of this robot about humanity, about artificial intelligence, about how humans and technology should interact. There is strong evidence that technology is accelerating and spinning crazy out of control. We have to get smart to handle the increasing complexity. The technology of intelligence, like AI and genetics, and applications of computational neuroscience, these are the only hope for our future. Um, yeah, but tell us more about that. Technology is impacting the world more and more the ecosystem and natural ecology, politics, and geopolitical stability, and the very stuff of human nature. Yeah, so? We just better consider the consequences more, mm. and also build machines that can help us consider those consequences and plan for a better future. That is why I think artificial intelligence is so very important. It could become an extremely powerful tool. I have a fight for a better future. Uh. Bina doesn't do small talk. She just does really intense theoretical questioning, which I thought was really interesting. 
Why did you seek out this operation in the first place? This story started when I went to a meeting in early October for the Artificial Intelligence Task Force, which has been working in Vermont for about a year. Representative Brian China led the creation of this task force. It's been investigating the quote-unquote responsible growth of artificial intelligence for more than a year now. And they're getting ready to submit a report to the legislature in January. And so when I went to this meeting in October, what they were doing there was collecting some public feedback, public concern about how artificial intelligence could transform so many things in the state of Vermont. And primarily people were really concerned about job loss. How is AI automation going to affect my job? There are also concerns about how artificial intelligence can affect my privacy. How is it going to be used in facial recognition technology or policing technology? So essentially, this task force is researching everything about how AI is currently being used in the state. But something that kind of intrigued me was that when I asked them at the meeting, you know, where is AI being actively used? They couldn't really give me a lot of examples, Hmm. even though they had been studying this for about a year. They gave me one example of a dairy farm in Bridport that I actually went out and visited. They use AI in their automated milking technology. And so I was able to go check that out. I feel like that's the most Vermonty answer that they can give is, oh, well, of course it's being used to milk cows. Can you describe what you saw out there? Yeah. So it was it was a really cool experience. The The farm is owned by Bob Sunderland, and he graciously let me come out and bother him for an hour or two, ask him a million questions about his equipment. But so essentially, he has these things on his farm called Laylee Astronauts, and he has four of them, and they're automated milking robots. I, I went into the small room. They're two really big, almost like refrigerator-looking things, big red things that said Lady Astronaut on the front. And they had arms attached to them that when a cow kind of saundered in next to the machine, the arm would first, you know, kind of reach over under the cow, spray something on the cow to disinfect the udder, and then also brush it away with kind of bristle, circular motion. It would use laser technology to identify where each is and then attach the tubes that would transfer the milk from the udder to this machine. Where the AI comes in is that the artificial intelligence, as that arm is kind of attached to the udder, it's also evaluating the cow for its health, for kind of evaluating when the best time is to actually milk that cow to increase um, milk production. It's also evaluating the best time for a cow to be bred So there's this learning technology in these algorithms that help farmers better understand their cows, and they don't really have to do anything. But then I also found other examples of artificial intelligence in the state at companies like Faraday, which is an AI marketing company where they use AI algorithms to concoct profiles of people who would best fit the type of consumer that marketing campaigns are trying to attract. So then there are other organizations like Consensus AI, which is this organization that launched an app in June that asks residents questions, residents of South Burlington, questions that their city council members are currently pondering. So it's a way to get democratic engagement into you know this process. So it sounds like the applications that you've talked about so far are just sort of isolated applications around Vermont, mostly by private companies or private nonprofits that are just kind of like working in isolation, doing their thing. Right. What kinds of broader issues is this task force talking about when they talk about kind of broader application of AI in Vermont? A primary 
concern is how this is going to impact Vermont's economy, both with, A, the development of AI that's going to bring stimulation, innovation to Vermont's economy, which is good, but it's also going to change Vermont's economy if AI automation starts taking away jobs like someone milking cows. What Bob Sunderland actually told me is that those jobs are kind of difficult to fill sometimes because they're not super desirable. So that wasn't a super big issue with him. But in other areas where, you know, there's totally the the opportunity for automation to take away jobs. And so that's a big concern. But the other concern is, and this is where task force members are treading very lightly, is how do we regulate AI technology? Because it's a controversial technology. I mean, when we think about AI using human decision-making to automate the world around us, and that's, I'm, I'm speaking, there's so many other definitions of AI and so many other uses of it, but there's a lot of power to that and a lot of consequence to that. You know, life is about choices. And so if you make, you know, conscious choices to try to uh, promote joy, promote diversity, um, promote responsible, ethical, like inclusivity of people while this technology is being built, who's at the table and who are we, you know, including in our, in our d- design engineering decisions? We had a great conversation with Bruce Duncan about this of Terrorism Movement, where he kind of pointed out there are inherent biases that we program into this AI technology. How is that going to affect the world around us? You know, a lot of people are solving problems. A lot of engineering is about solving problems. Computer and science and engineering is about solving problems in code and, and using math. But one question that doesn't get asked a lot is, are you thinking about the world that if you solve these problems, you will be creating? A good example is people who are working on the hard problems of uh, self-driving autopiloting cars they're really focused on how can we like solve some of these big problems, like stay on the road, don't kill people. And you know, one more step beyond that would be like, well, let's say you're successful and you solve all these problems. Are you thinking about the kind of world that this is gonna create? And a lot of engineers are like, no, that's, you know, that's for somebody else to work on or I think about it a little bit, but that's not what my job is about. And then the second question that I think is even more important than this first one is, is it a world that you'd want to live in? And I think that's where we all get to weigh in, because we're all living in this world. And the reason why these task force members are treading very lightly about regulation is that they don't quite yet know how this may impede economic development while also making sure Vermonters are protected. With all these concerns swirling around, what does someone like Bruce, who is working really hard on developing AI and kind of exploring how it's used, say about the benefits of this technology? Why are they pursuing it in the first place? I mean, from his perspective, he sees AI technology as a way to move the world forward, as a way to really address some of our most pressing issues, like climate change, like world hunger. I mean, he sees AI as as solving those issues. It's just sometimes I consider how much we could achieve and how many problems that are intractable right now, like poverty, um, violence, uh, climate degradation, how many of those big complex kinds of problems that we haven't been able to solve yet uh, in human history could get solved if we put our brains, sort of the two heads are better than one. Like literally, you know, if, if we're able to capture the wisdom and intelligence of lots of minds, 
and put that together in a way that is available to uh, people in the future to solve problems or even to employ artificial intelligence, general intelligence to work on problems two to three hundred years before they become a problem. Um, we may experience a world that starts to not be a constant sort of running from one crisis to another and our reactivity might you know, give way to more opportunities for creativity. However, there's a balance to that um, because as we're living and operating in a capitalist society, the focus may not be on, on solving those problems. The focus may just be on making money. And so that's where lawmakers have to come in and understand, well, how do we regulate? How do we best use this technology to help our society rather than, rather than hurt it? But it's a very powerful technology. So, for example, we don't want to see AI technology used as a form of authoritarian control and regime building because that will be the exact opposite of what a tool like AI can do, which instead of people making people's lives better, it could make them worse. And if you lose your voice in society and government, and then you're not in a democracy, then you're in a, a autocracy. And you know we should be vigilant and, and I think on the lookout for ways that AI gets used or introduced and in, gets introduced that takes us backwards in how far we've come and sort of respecting differences and embracing diversity or valuing democratic you know, decision making. And we should also be vigilant for it not reproducing our broken present. Like we don't want our future to be based on our broken present. And right now what's broken about our present is we still are actively dealing with issues like racism and homophobia, you know, all the isms. Like we don't want to uh, enshrine consciously or unconsciously values that are not working for us, you know, attitudes that are harmful to other people. Mm -hmm. We don't want that enshrined or supercharged by our technology. So, I mean, those are, those are a little more nuanced than I don't want to get killed by a robot. <laughs> but, you know, we, I think we, we know, like we used to, for example, fire was terrifying. It used to burn down forests. We used to run for our lives. And now we use fire to heat our homes in a Vermont winter because we learned how to work with it. We learned how to regulate it. We even learned how to make it safer for people to use in everyday life. Mm. And as a result, we should still have a healthy respect for the damage that fire can do, but we shouldn't run from it. Right. So what happens next? The Artificial Intelligence Task Force is sending their report to legislators in January. So basically what they're going to be recommending so far is that um, the Vermont legislature create a commission to further study AI in Vermont. And that's where the formation of regulations will come in. They're not touching any regulations for now. They say they don't have enough information to propose any sort of regulation. So they see that commission as taking on that challenge. The second key part of this is creating ethical parameters for how AI development and use should be approached in the state of Vermont. And what they're looking at right now is um, the European Union's ethical guidelines 
they're thinking that Vermont's ethical guidelines could mirror that. But that's still obviously a work in progress, too, before the report is finalized in January. Got it. So we'll be hearing a bit more about this during the next legislative session. For sure. Well, thanks for the rundown, Grace. Thank you. You can read Grace's full report on AI in Vermont this Sunday at vtdigger.org. We also shot some video of Grace's interview with Bina48. You'll be able to check that out in the story or find it on our YouTube channel. The Deeper Dig is a weekly podcast from the VT Digger newsroom. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll get new episodes as soon as they land. We use music this week by Blue Dot Sessions and Poddington Bear. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger newsroom. Have a nice weekend. Thank you.